Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. We're excited to be here uh, again this morning. Let's get growing, man. It's just a blessing. It, it is a a truly blessing to allow God every morning to get us started, get us motivated, get us headed in the right direction so that he can uh, use us and utilize us to the max. I want God to maximize his glory in my life. I don't know about you, but I want him to maximize his glory in my life. We're um, in day 21, praise God, of uh Quest for Authentic Manhood, 33, the series, and we are excited about God uh, using us and showing us, uh, us, right, and uh, dealing with us in such a way that uh, will cause us to reflect on uh, things in our lives that um, could possibly be hindering us, Um from moving to that next level. And so we're excited to be able to see those things and then have created action plan to deal with them and not uh, allow them to hold us back any further. Praise God. And so we're going to get started. We are in uh, volume four and we are in session three. And so I'm going to go ahead and cue that up this morning. Hallelujah. Hey guys, welcome back. In the last session, we introduced you to a biblical blueprint of work, a bigger vision from God's perspective. And this blueprint made up of three parts will be our foundation as we continue to unpack work and it will serve as a guide for us going forward. In the first part, it helps us to see our work as a vocation, God's personal and purposeful call on our lives. Then in the second part of the blueprint, we saw that through our work, we have the privilege of participating in God's original plan for mankind to follow his example by creating and cultivating. And this helped answer the question, what to do in our work. Then in the third part, we learned that uh, who we're to be in our work. Jesus set the example as he engaged in his work on earth. As we follow him, well, we are to be a life-giving presence. Well, today, we're going to look at some biblical examples of men who embodied this blueprint. Uh, we're going to see a couple of real men in action, living out some of what we learned in last session. And we're going to look at two men from the Bible, Nehemiah from the Old Testament and Paul from the New Testament. As you'll see, Nehemiah's story offers us a great example of a man who followed God's mandate to create and cultivate. While the Apostle Paul, in both his life and his teaching, offers us some very practical ways that we can be a life-giving presence. And our hope is that these biblical examples will help give you courage to create and cultivate and to be a life-giving presence wherever you work. Yeah. 
I'm a professional soccer player. I currently play for the San Jose Earthquakes. Uh, I'm a baker at Nose Bagels. Well, I work with my family. Uh, we have a, uh, a mom and pop uh, restaurant. I've been working with my father for all my life. Uh, it's my dream job. I wanted to play soccer ever since I was four years old, and I've been lucky enough to do so. Uh, it was a job that was offered to me by uh, the manager there, and I just took it. It's, uh, it's mostly just to support them. Um, I like the competitive environment. Uh, I really like competition, trying to win. Uh, I get to work with food and make and make people happy with the food I make. So I'm pretty happy with that. When when you see the smile on people's faces, or when they come over and they really are, are they, they they'll shake your hand or they'll really look at you in the eye and say, you know what? I appreciate your service. I appreciate you. It, it feels great. You feel rewarded. Uh, money for me was not the biggest issue, but I was loving what I was doing, playing soccer. Uh, I knew I wouldn't be able to do it always. Uh, I wanted to get married. I wanted to have kids and support a family. So making money did become more important. Money, they, they pay well. They pay well. They actually take care of you with full benefits. And I mean, uh, I'm pretty happy with my job. Playing soccer every single day, um, fighting for your position, knowing that you could lose it at any moment with injury or someone else coming in and taking a job has been difficult. So it's stressful. Frustrating to me, midnight shift, doing the graveyard every night. You know, it gets a little bit tiring. It's hard to stay uh, asleep during the day. You know, I like to be active and be out during the day, so it's hard to get that schedule down. Well, I, I mean, you know, sometimes uh, you go in there and uh, you try to do the best you can, right? And you're really trying to please people, especially in the restaurant business. You've got to cater to people. And then sometimes they won't uh, appreciate that or they'll just, uh, just more about ordering you around. And so it can feel a little bit uh, demeaning at times. Okay, guys, we're going to begin today by looking at Nehemiah's story from the Old Testament, and then we'll follow that up with Paul's story. Before we dive in, let's review what it means to create and cultivate in our work. It's using our God-given time, talents, and resources to bring things into existence and develop, order, and manage them for the benefit of others and for the glory of God. As we tell Nehemiah's story, we're going to identify a number of takeaways that can help us as we seek to live out the second part of our biblical blueprint by creating and cultivating. We'll look first at how Nehemiah created through his work. Now, there are a few things that you need to know about Nehemiah. He lived approximately 400 years before Jesus was born, during a time when God's people, the nation of Israel, had been conquered by Persia. Persia was the most powerful empire in the world at that time, and many Israelites had been relocated, sometimes against their will, away from their homeland. As you can imagine, many of them hoped to return home to Israel one day to help restore and rebuild the nation. Nehemiah was one of those exiles of Israel. He was a man in a foreign country. But in that foreign country, in Persia, Nehemiah happened to hold a distinguished position on the king's staff. He was the cupbearer, the trusted person who protected the king's cup from poison. That sounds like a pretty awesome job, one that was highly coveted, chilling and eating with the king. But you see, 
Deep in Nehemiah's heart, he felt God had given him a dream. He had a personal desire to use his talents and resources to rebuild the land of Israel and help rebuild the capital city, Jerusalem, which was in shambles after being conquered. This vision prompted a career change for Nehemiah. And the entire book tells the story of how he took a risk, left his stable position as a government official, and became an urban planner, a developer, in order to help rebuild his hometown. Now, the very first thing Nehemiah had to do was get his boss's endorsement of his work vision, of his career move. Basically, he had to pitch his idea to the king. Let's watch the scene unfold in Nehemiah chapter 2. Listen to how Nehemiah himself describes it. I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And by the way, guys, being sad in the king's presence could get you killed in those days. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. So, when we see Nehemiah using the platform that God had given him to create for the benefit of his people, and we can see some principles emerging that we can apply as we create in our own work. Notice first that Nehemiah had an idea that he was passionate about. He had a vision for a preferred future, something he could create. One pastor summarized Nehemiah's idea this way. Nehemiah hoped to use his management skills to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and reinstate stability so that economic and civic life could begin to flourish again in Israel. In other words, Nehemiah had a work vision that would bless others, an idea for how his work could benefit society and help rebuild his community. I'm sure that many of you can relate to this. Perhaps you have a vision for a new idea at work or how you could do your work better, or apply your talents differently, or maybe even do a different job. Maybe you're asking, like Nehemiah, if you should take a risk and try something different, or more challenging, or more suited to your gifting. Nehemiah's story can't tell you what to do, but it can offer you some key questions to consider. Is your vision something that blesses others? Is it life-giving? Does it help bring life to you, your family, your community, or the world? Remember, as we create in our work, we want to do so in such a way that blesses others and brings glory to God. The second thing we can learn from Nehemiah's story is how he courageously pursued his idea, despite being afraid, despite risk, and despite the possibility of failure. Now, he didn't hide his fear. He had it. He was scared. He admitted it. But he didn't let fear kill the vision that God had laid on his heart. His faith in God's plan was greater than his fear of failure or danger. Nehemiah rejected the safe, stable path and chose, despite fear, to dream a bold dream and to go on a God-sized vocational adventure that played to his strengths and would create a better life for others. The third thing we see as Nehemiah creates in his work is his dependence upon God. In the middle of his pitch... When his vocational future was on the line, Nehemiah turned to God in prayer. 
He invited God into his work life. Now, we don't have time to go through every passage throughout the whole book of Nehemiah, but if you read through it, you'd quickly see that dependence on God was a consistent theme in Nehemiah's life. And right here, we see him depending on God in his work life. This brings us to the fourth thing that we can take from Nehemiah's journey to create. He had a well-thought-out work strategy. We just saw that Nehemiah prayed. Now we see that he planned too. Prayer and planning were a both-and for Nehemiah, not an either-or. He wasn't just going to pray and then shoot in the dark. He had thought through what it would take to implement his vision. His ideas weren't half-baked. You can see the extensive planning he had done from his response to the king's follow-up questions. Listen to how he describes it. And the king said to me, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked. Nehemiah knew what it was going to take to get the job done. He was ready at a moment's notice to ask for the necessary support and inventory to ensure success. He wasn't just an idea guy or a guy with a dream, but no solid plans to implement the dream. In the same way, when we create in our jobs, we need a vision, but we also need more than that. We need a deliberate process or a plan of action that's going to make success more likely. Creating isn't just using our time, talents, and resources to create blindly. Whether you're building something in the workshop or on the job site, closing a new sales deal, or writing a new book, it's wise to identify and implement the best practices so we can accomplish the work set before us. You have to begin with the end in mind and know what it's going to take to get there. Like Nehemiah, it's wise to have a plan or a process in place. So to sum up, here are four takeaways we gain from observing Nehemiah create. He had a work vision that blesses others. He was courageous in the face of fear. He depended on God in prayer, and he had a well-thought-out strategy. Now, Nehemiah wasn't just a creator. He also gives us a good picture of a man cultivating in his work. He was going to finish what he started. Let's rejoin the story as we see Nehemiah, now in Jerusalem, well into the rebuilding project and facing the threat of an imminent attack. Listen to how he describes it. So we labored at the work, and half of the men held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our work clothes, and each kept his weapon at his right hand. We see that when he arrived in Jerusalem and throughout his whole time there, Nehemiah's new venture was opposed by some of the local authorities. They stood against him every chance they got, and they even threatened to stop Nehemiah's rebuilding campaign by force. When faced with this curveball, Nehemiah made adjustments, knowing that his enemy might attack. He had half of his men work 
and half of his men ready for battle. And they worked from sunup until sundown, not even taking time to change clothes. A number of things jump out as we observe Nehemiah cultivating here. First, when we are creating and cultivating, resistance and opposition are going to be a reality. It could be a supervisor or co-worker who seems to have it out for you. It could be a client who's extremely demanding and never pleased. It could be an unforeseen complication or weeds amongst the crops. Regardless, like Nehemiah, all of us need to expect opposition to come and be ready to make strategic adjustments along the way. That's part of being a cultivator and persevering in the face of resistance. The second thing we see is the importance of being willing to work hard, to be able at times to kick it into a higher gear. Too many men are too soft in this area. They don't know how to bring their A game every day, to be willing to put in the hard work. Some seasons may require late nights, early mornings and weekends, and sometimes you have to make that temporary sacrifice. Now, we're not saying you should be a workaholic. You shouldn't be. But you must be able to work hard when the occasion demands it. Another insight that we gain from Nehemiah's story is the importance of rest and celebration. You see, rest and celebration are a part of cultivating well. It's the idea of letting yourself and others be rejuvenated so that you can effectively manage whatever is under your care. So the soil is refreshed for a new season. So you and your employees don't get burnt out. Listen to Nehemiah describe it. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the priest in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall, and they gave thanks, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. I love that passage because we get to see Nehemiah finish the job that he set out to do. He rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem and reinstated economic and spiritual vitality to his city. And what does he do next? He's not a workaholic, moving right away into the next project. He sets aside some time and celebrates. He throws a massive party. Like God in Genesis, he steps back and enjoys his good creation. He lets himself and his co-workers recover and celebrate. So here are three takeaways that we can learn from watching Nehemiah's commitment to cultivate. He fought to overcome resistance. He was willing to work hard. He took time to rest and celebrate his accomplishments. Guys, Nehemiah is a pretty good model of how we can create and cultivate in our work for the benefit of others. His story offers some great insights for our own journey as we follow God's mandate to create and cultivate in our own lives. Let's look at a modern example of a work story that reflects some of these principles. had the opportunity to play football in college. I knew I wasn't going to get to keep playing football after college. So uh, I finished college and went and got my MBA. And uh, then I went and got my law degree. I really took law school seriously, so I did pretty well there. And, and it opened up some opportunities at some, at some really nice firms. 
So I, I accepted a job at a large firm and man, I learned a ton, met some incredible people. I uh, got to work on some, on some really um, cool cases. But after a couple of years, I really started, um, I, I really started wondering if I, if I wanted to do this for a lifetime. An opportunity arose to, to, to get into the insurance industry in a way that I could continue using my legal background, but also dive into some more, some, some business aspects of the uh, insurance world. I left the law firm, uh, started making some real good money, um, moved up the corporate ladder, ultimately became an executive vice president, but I still wasn't waking up every morning going, this is what I love. This is what I'm passionate about. This is why I was put on this earth. I started praying, okay, Lord, what is it? Is there something different out there uh, in my work life or is this it? It was right in that time that God gave me a vision and it came through a mentor and friend of mine, Robert Lewis. We'd been dreaming about um, how we took what God was doing at our church and reproduce it and, and find young leaders, train them up, send them out and, uh, and, and be a part of changing the world through them. It was one morning at the Waffle House. Robert and I were having breakfast together and he looked across the table and uh, he said, why don't you do this? I think you're the guy. I'm going, this is it. This is what I've been praying for. And the best way I can describe it, I just felt like, man, God freed my spirit. And he said, go for it. We don't, you don't know what's going to happen. And there's some risk and there's some um, unknowns for sure. But he said, go for it. I think the idea of him having that bold and courageous faith was evident early on as he came over to Fellowship Associates. That was an idea that who knew would work, and he leaves a good, solid, well-paying job and takes a step of faith to go out and do that. Actually, having the courage to economically step out on a limb and create a different kind of curriculum like 33 has become, something no one else has done before. I, I doubt if we would be here today if it hadn't been for the courage and the leadership that Steve showed. I think the part of the story with Nehemiah that I can relate to the most is, is the account where it talks about Nehemiah had a vision from God and a dream in his heart. If you hang around Steve for very long, you know what his vision is, whether it's D1 or Life Champs or uh, Fellowship Associates. He likes to bring men together, um, teach them, coach them, encourage them. And with that motivation comes a lot of hours, a lot of early mornings, a lot of late nights. It, it takes time, it takes work, it takes commitment. Um, it takes some early mornings, it takes some late nights. You absolutely have to roll up your sleeves and go to work. It doesn't happen on its own. So when I think of the book of Nehemiah, one of the things that's always stood out to me is that um, from all the people that are working on different sections of the wall, the oldest guy in the story is working on two sections. He's out there killing it. He's out there getting after it. And so I kind of hang out with all these young guys all the time that are just in their 20s. And we think we got our act together and we think we know how to work hard. We think we know how to get a lot done. And then I meet a guy like Steve who he's doing more than all of us combined. 
and he's twice a lot of our ages. I mean, like, he's an old guy. So this is what creating means to me and who, and who I am and how I see work. Um, taking the talents and the gifts that God's given me to apply to new opportunities that will help make a difference in this world. That, to me, makes me come alive when I think about creating that. You can see that that's his God-given gift to take a group of men and call them into something great. If he didn't have that, he'd just be another motivational speaker. And, and guys don't um, risk everything. They don't, they don't move across the world to start something that might fail by the encouragement of just a motivational speaker. They'll do that for a man who, who, uh, who, who loves God and is being influenced by God and, and the Holy Spirit directing him through that. The impact he's had on my life has been amazing. And he loves helping people. That's one of the most important things that I, I just love about him. You know, I feel like if something happened to me, he'll be there for me. Work is too big. It's too important a part of life to settle. Use what God's given you, the talents he's given you, who he's made you to be, to dream big. And it may be as simple as staying right where you are and doing exactly what you're doing with a new level of energy or excitement or in a different way. But it may be a pretty drastic change um, to go do something where you're really coming alive in your work in a whole new way. That's blessing others in a way you could have never imagined. Let's change gears and let's dive into Paul's story. It's worth checking out the work perspective of the guy who wrote so much of the New Testament. What we find is that once he started following Jesus, he was all about modeling Jesus' life-giving spirit in his work. Now, there's a couple things you need to know about Paul. First, he spent a lot of his time doing blue-collar work. We learn in Acts 18 that Paul was a tent maker, a man who worked with his hands. And he often tried to set an example of hard work and manual labor for others. The second thing you need to know is that Paul makes it real clear that he was committed to imitating Jesus' life-giving presence. For example, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he tells the Corinthians, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, with these points in mind, let's look at three of the ways Paul taught and modeled how we can live out the third part of our blueprint, how we can be a life-giving presence in our work. The first way Paul says that we can be a life-giving presence is by providing for ourselves so that we are not a burden to others. Paul lays this out for us in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Here's what he says. If anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Guys, as fundamental as this sounds, it's good to remember that earning our own keep and doing our own share is life-giving to others, to not be a burden on others or the community. Now, of course, some of us are going to go through seasons when we may need the help of others, and that's okay. We're not talking about that. We're talking about an able-bodied man avoiding work or underworking or illegitimately relying on the labor of others to support him. That's life draining, not life giving. Here's another way Paul teaches us to be a life giving presence. We are able to provide for our family. 
In 1 Timothy 5.8, Paul says that if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We see here that one of God's purposes for work is to allow us to provide for those under our care. That's one of its noble purposes, to provide food, shelter, and opportunities to our loved ones so that they can flourish, so that they themselves can become life-giving presence to others. Guys, a big part of being a man is being a provider. When you get up, go to work, and you put a roof over your family's head and food on their table, that's noble. It's not something to minimize. When you do that, you're being a life-giving presence. The final way that Paul teaches us to be a life-giving presence in our work is by giving to others who are in need. In Ephesians 4.28, Paul says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. This principle of giving to others and living generously is a constant theme throughout the Bible. Jesus said that it's better to give than to receive. Guys, the income that we generate from our work should be shared with others. God's Word inspires us to bring life to others by giving generously. As God blesses us in our work, we can be a blessing to others and let them experience God's grace through us. This is an amazing opportunity that every one of us can enjoy to be a life-giving presence to others as we share the profits of our work. Authentic men are giving men. They see themselves as stewards. They give generously. They give strategically. They give spontaneously. They give with no strings attached for the sole purpose of giving life to others. Now, let's watch some of these principles play out in this modern-day work story. I knew from a point that I wanted to be a football coach because of how the impact that I felt the coaches could have. I thought that football coaches have more impact than bankers, lawyers, doctors, because of how young men look up to them. And I, I just know the feeling of putting the arm around a young man, what the coaches did to me. I know coaches were affirming. And so I wanted to affirm other young men. When I first met Fitz, um, he did have a passion for coaching. He's always had one. I was fortunate to get the job as a head 36-year-old to become the head football coach at San Jose State. Uh, didn't realize what all that meant. I just wanted to be a head coach. So I guess uh, enlarged my influence, uh, increased my territory, thinking that God had destined me for that opportunity. And he did. My goal at that time was to to be the first African-American head football coach to win a national championship, which was a very selfish goal. I could just see myself getting that crystal ball, holding it up there. You know, when you see Nick Saban and those people doing that, you know, that was my vision. I remember in, in 2002, we went to the University of Illinois. We were a 35-point underdog, and they were Big Ten defending champions, and uh, we beat them 38-35. Oh, my head was so big then. Uh, you couldn't tell me. I couldn't get inside this room uh, because I was full of myself. And uh, 2002 season, we were turnaround program of the year. Uh, I've got a couple coaching, national coaching awards. I was able to get a new four-year contract. I received a vote of confidence from, from uh, the administration. So ESPN had called our athletic director and said, hey, listen, uh, we, want, we want to, boys, it was ranked ninth in the country at the time, undefeated. Uh, they want to give them some TV exposure on the East Coast. So they called uh, my athletic director and said, hey, uh, would you guys look at moving your game to 9 a.m. in the morning uh, 
to, to be on ESPN. I said, absolutely. I said, I'm going to do the best coaching job of my life to play Boise State on national TV. For that morning, uh, Cynthia came and gave me a note from my oldest daughter, Destiny. And she said, you know, read this when you get a chance today at your coffee break. I open, read the letter from Destiny, said, dear God, uh, thank you for blessing my mom, my dad, and our family. Then at the bottom, she said, P.S., please let us move back to Arkansas. And that was the way she finished the letter. So, man, I just looked and said, it made me think, you know, they were with me to support my dream, but they were not happy. And so I just that week, it just really hit me what Destiny had said in her letter. So as we prepared for the Boise State game, you know, uh, I felt very confident that we're going to shock the world right here. I think they may have scored first at the time, but then we come back and, and tie it up. It's 35-35. Uh, uh, I think we score again. It's 42-35. They score again. It's 42-42. We take the ball and drive the ball all the way down the field to have a chance to score and win the game. The holder, call for the ball, perfect. Hold was there, kick, goes up. There it is, I see it. I'm getting ready to jump up and it must have been an angel. Somebody just came up. This guy had a 42 inch vertical jump from Boise State and he blocked, he tipped, deflected and we missed it. And immediately my special team coach ran up to and said, Coach, coach, what happened? And I immediately thought about Destiny's letter. I said, God just answered Destiny's prayer and I'm getting ready to go back to Arkansas. I decided after that, that, you know, I'd done everything I could do. I worked as hard as I could work. This was not for me. I would resign uh, the next week and I would move back to Arkansas, not knowing, but I just said, hey God, I don't know what it is you have for me, but I've tried to do it my way. Show me what it is you want me to do and uh, wherever you lead me, I will follow. So it was a, it was a definitely positive thing, and, and it changed a lot about uh, his spirit. Uh, I saw him a happier person. But that four-year experience was really the training ground to come to 1621 Dr. Martin Luther King Drive, because this is where the dream really was. He says, I just took a job at Arkansas Baptist College. And I said, Fitz, I remember a little bit about that school. I said, but boy, that school's not very big. And he says, well, guess what? I'm going to be the president. And he says, so I think it's, you know, what God wants me to do. And that was different because I'd always heard Fitz talk about what he wanted to do. I think the thing that arrested me was he says, it's what God wants me to do. So when I came here and I had to start, you know, looking at the buildings that were, were, were dilapidated and, um, uh, the, the boarded up houses in the community, you know, I saw an opportunity to really start a transformation process. I can say without having a father figure in my life that he is another father figure that I can look to and to see what he is doing and to learn from those things. Through his vision, uh, he's provided the opportunity uh, for them to be able to come here and study at Arkansas Baptist College Many of the students, if it were not for Dr. Hill's vision, uh, would not have an opportunity to access higher education. That's why I know I've been placed here and my opportunity to help the least of these have been empowered by being the president of Arkansas Baptist College. When I was a football coach, I had to tell them, you have to go someplace else because you don't meet NCAA standards. So that's what empowers me that I can, I can take a person 
who somebody else has told that you don't qualify. And I can say, yes, you do here, baby, let's go. But because of the, the lowness, the valleys of being the head coach of San Jose State, I am so much closer to God. I'm a stronger Christian than, than whatever been. I'm a better husband and I'm a better father. Those are the most important things in my core values of life that I never would have been had I been successful in the football field. Do you see how that story is a great example of how we can apply the principles we learned from the lives of Nehemiah and Paul to our own work lives? Today's session puts some flesh on what it means to live out God's blueprint for work. Nehemiah's story and Paul's life and teaching offer some helpful insights and wisdom that should give us courage to create and cultivate and be a life-giving presence in and through our work. Hopefully, you've been inspired. You've seen guys living out the blueprint. Now, your story doesn't have to and probably doesn't look exactly like their stories. You don't have to quit your job to live out the blueprint. God may have you exactly where you are right now and want you there for the next 30 years. That's great. Everyone is different and unique. But one common thing you saw in today's stories that applies to all of us is courage. It takes courage to live out God's vision for work, whether you stay in the same job or make a drastic career change. Whether you are a corporate attorney, a police officer, or a farmer, it still takes courage to live out our blueprint. Now guys, remember, we're building an action plan. Be sure to write down your strategic moves in your training guide. Because we as men need a plan that we can put into action in order to experience the work the way God has designed it. Next session, we're going to present 10 essentials that will help you live out our biblical blueprint of work. So when a man embraces these essentials, it will provide him with more opportunities, broader influence, and greater success in the workplace. You'll begin to live out God's ultimate vision for your work. It's also helped me when I have a tendency to want to underwork, to remember that God cares about my work. If all of us are thinking the same thing, then somebody's not thinking. Don't you cause me to question your integrity. Don't miss the importance of the gospel in your work. An authentic man works hard, but knows when to turn work off. Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Truly, um, this has been a blessing today. Um, today's lesson is, is, is truly challenging. You know, we, we looked at Nehemiah um, on the wall and um, taking a courageous stand to go after what God had placed on his heart. And and we also see Paul, you know, making that that sacrifice. And I, I love the two gentlemen that they used um, uh, as modern day uh, Paul's and Nehemiah's, you know, um, 
truly is it's a blessing. Even in my life, you know, I, I see God just moving and, and, and taking me to another level um, of business and, and ministry and sharing with me the um, what I should go after and how it's going to impact the world and, and our nation. And so um, I'm, I'm in the midst of it. You know, I'm, I'm excited. I think that's one of my favorite words, uh, excited. <laughs> Um, but God is doing some exceptional things, uh, guys, and you're not in this alone. We, we're in it together. I'm here to help you. Other men are, are, are coming to join us to this quest for authentic manhood. We have to grow. We have to get growing. We have to do those things that God has called us to do, that, have, that passion that he has placed in our heart to do it, to make it done. I, I see him just opening doors and and creating opportunities for for myself, not only just to bless me, but in my family, but to bless others. And and, you know, that's what my life has been about. And that's what it's about. And I'm excited about it. Um, so this is just Antoine. We're excited about what God is doing in our lives. We're we're excited about growing and helping other men grow. Um, I'll see you at the top. Bye for now. <laughs>